Hello and welcome to Camera Eats First. My name is Devin. And I'm Catherine. And together we are Two Market Girls. We run a vegan YouTube channel and a blog, and this is our podcast where we talk about things like veganism, how we make our recipes, how we run our blog, some food news, and some food content. And today we are diving into some food history. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, Kat, but I've like lately really gotten into learning about food history. Uh, I haven't, I mean, I find it very interesting. I wouldn't say like right now I'm deep into it, but I find it very interesting. It's like anything, right? Like I find the history of any kind of trend based things interesting, like fashion trends, like how one generation will be so obsessed with this one thing and then another generation has never even heard of it or doesn't care about it at all. Yeah. And I feel like I learned about fashion or just like general history more when I was younger, but never a lot of food history. So now yeah. I'm just like, the, it's so interesting to hear the stories behind even just the simplest foods, even just cereal. I love that story. <laughs> Devin wants to know who is responsible for the cereal boom in America. Well, we're not going to talk about the Kellogg brothers no. on this episode. There's no. so many episodes about them on other shows. <laughs> All right. Well, go to one of their podcasts if you're interested in learning about the Kellogg brothers. <laughs> yeah. But today we thought we'd kind of take a look back through history at food trends that existed throughout the years because we've kind of talked about the food trends that we're seeing now on places like TikTok and just be like, what's going through people's minds? So I think it's interesting to compare in previous what was going through people's minds. Yeah. Because there's always been interesting food things happening that were probably questioned at the time. And there's also probably like so many like things that we can like can't even remember life without now but we don't remember like there was definitely life without it before at least in north america yeah yeah i just hope that when people look back like 30 years from now on spaghetti being served on tables they um know that that we didn't think that that was okay (laughs) yeah that was just a difficult time for everyone Uh, Also, like, disclaimer, this is, like, a very North American thinking trends. Like, these are trends that, this is when trends boomed in North America, not other parts of the world. Yeah, so we're actually, we'll link the lists that these are all pulled from in the show notes. So it's places like Food and Wine, uh, Eater, Insider, those kind of publications, which are very North American and white. American, yeah. Yeah white centered so that is like kind of the context behind the list yeah so while like there could be like a popular thing in a certain year it's popular it became popular in north america at that time that doesn't mean it wasn't popular other places of the world already (laughs) exactly exactly okay so we're actually going to we're going to start in 1959 all right this is where my parents weren't even born by then uh both of mine were Okay. This actually like this in be, between our two parents. Our yeah, parents. this would be my mom's birth year. And okay. it is cheese balls. <laughs> che- which so it's like the are you talking the uh like party apps, like the big round things that usually have like nuts or seeds crusted around them or something? Exactly. Where it's like uh cream cheese probably is what's holding it together and you've got some yeah. shredded cheese in there <laughs> and like whatever else you shove into onto that ball. <laughs> which I will say I've never had one. 
in the the context of a homemade version like i don't know if there's some store-bought cheeses that might count as that probably maybe Um, yeah but like I've i've never had one but i do see them actually a lot in vegan cooking and vegan recipe blogs Right. And it's kind of been on my list to take like a vegan cream cheese and just make some kind of fun cheese ball with it. Honestly, I think this one is so amazing because like there's so much variety that can come out of it. You <laughs> yeah. can just add anything you want to it. <laughs> like I'm sure everyone else is thinking of more creative things than coating it in Doritos like I am. Oh my god. <laughs> yes oh, so Devin just takes everything and either coats it in doritos or buffalo in ranch well, i feel like i could almost do all three with my cheese ball oh my god you could yeah right yeah i think yeah, we're gonna have to yeah. explore cheese balls a little bit more and so this is a good trend i'm glad that this was introduced and has stood the test of time yeah i mean i don't know if like, I don't really know, because, again, I've never really had one growing up or now ever, so I don't really know how popular they still are, but I've been seeing them pop around, and I don't know if maybe they had, like, a dip where, like, they were super popular late 50s, early 60s, and then they, uh, like, tailed off for a bit because new trends came up that were probably a little hipper for the time, mm. and now they're back. Like, you know, every trend comes back. Definitely, yes. Well, I, yeah, again, I don't know how trendy they are now, but in my heart... They are still trendy. They're, they're trendy great. to us because we've never had one. <laughs> they're still a very new thing to us. <laughs> We're like, oh my god, this is the hip new thing. <laughs> we are a little behind schedule. <laughs> We're like, I don't even know what, 60 years behind schedule. It's fine. We like vintage stuff, okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then in the 60s, like right at the beginning of the 60s, the company Knox, which is the company behind Jello, oh. came out with this recipe book that was all about gel cookery. And so it kind of inspired people to make a lot of jello based molded stuff and dishes. Yeah. Which Yeah, I've definitely seen those things. Yeah. Which wasn't actually I mean, it that was huge in the thirties. Yes. Yeah. People and, were and just like having back. Yeah, people were having a lot of, quote unquote, trying to have a lot of fun during the Great Depression and just getting experimental with what they could throw into their Jello <laughs> dishes. Which, like, I appreciate the attitude. Like, that is, that is a creative mindset to have in a pretty depressing time. <laughs> Which I, when I read that, I thought, well, that that feels a little bit uh, relatable to right now. Because what weird things are we doing with foods? <laughs> like, so. honestly, it kind of feels like a test kitchen we'd do. Let's just throw some stuff in jello. Oh yeah. my god, should we do it? <laughs> <laughs> should we bring back congealed <laughs> meals? Yes. yes. <laughs> Such a terrible word. <laughs> it truly is. <laughs> and there was like, so there's one... It's from, this one's from the 30s. So it's called Spanish Jello Salad. Uh-huh. I, Jello use... Salad is like one of the things that I I like. That's what I think of when you say like molded type thing is Jello Salad. Yeah, yeah. This one had lemon Jello as the base. Yeah. Pimentos, celery, pickles, white cabbage, and vinegar. Oh, vinegar! Like just straight up vinegar interesting like i'm i really want to get like an old jello cookbook and just make some of the recipes from it it's gonna happen now i honestly think i remember 
my grandmother making jello something but like nothing like that usually i think it just had like fruit in it yeah but i feel like i remember that me too definitely my that was a dessert that my grandma would make very often was some kind of strawberry jello sometimes it would have fruit sometimes it wouldn't yeah but obviously that's where she picked it up she would have been cooking a lot in that time entertaining looking for easy ways to make something look fancy children exactly yeah i should ask my mom about the congealed meals she yeah your mom might have grown up with them (laughs) (laughs) okay and now in 1964 this isn't about jeffrey bezos this is about (laughs) pop tarts pop wow i can't believe they're that old yeah the quote-unquote toaster pastries and just like for context when they came out in 64 they didn't have any frosting on them oh yeah they were naked but even though (laughs) even though they were naked they were sold out so quickly that kellogg's actually like put an advertisement out in the paper being like we're sorry there's a shortage of pop tarts i mean i get it right i really get it like even with like they sell them still without icing there's like ones that are icingless i'd still eat that they're good yeah i mean thankfully it was only three years without the icing in 67 (laughs) They put the frosting on, and then there's no way those things were going to stay on the shelves, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, really. Wow, Pop-Tarts. Do you remember, does it say anywhere what the first Pop-Tart flavor was? Oh, probably. Let's see if it says in this article. So it was unfrosted. That we, No, I assume it was like a strawberry or something like that. But I also, I think strawberry is like a basic flavor for now to start out with. I don't know if it was the basic flavor in the 60s. It was Jello, right? <laughs> No, I re- I just read something that I like did not see coming at all. The idea for Pop Tarts came from a refrigerated dog food invention. What? Maybe we shouldn't learn everything about food. <laughs> actually, I don't understand. Yeah, you read that right. According to the Chicago Tribune, Post Post Co's pet food division developed dog food called Gains burgers a novel concept because the dog food was semi-moist but didn't have to be refrigerated a convenience many humans coincidentally sought in their breakfast food Ew. so that's how they came up with this fruit-filled pastry that okay wow yeah that's um i don't think i want to know the origin story of everything okay but i can tell you the original four flavors okay yes i'm excited strawberry Okay. Blueberry. Okay. Apple currant. Apple currant. And brown sugar cinnamon. Brown sugar cinnamon. I, I think I can understand that one. I was not expecting apple currant. Me neither. But then again, it does kind of feel like a flavor that was more popular previously than it is now. But also, like, it sounds delicious. I need an apple currant Pop-Tart maybe we should make one and i want to try a brown sugar cinnamon one because it feels like i think they've definitely still have those oh okay i don't think i've ever seen it that one sounds familiar to me i don't think i've ever had it but i'm pretty sure that one still exists okay we'll give one more pop tart fact and that is that they were originally going to be called a fruit scone a fruit scone yeah. What did scones look like in the 60s? <laughs> I think uh, they might be using that term a little loosely. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to 65. 
with a dip that I didn't actually know that this was its original name. Do you know what California dip is? No. It's the French onion dip. Oh. Yeah. Apparently it's actually called California dip. And it got switched to French onion dip. Yeah. I think just because people realize that's basically what it is. It's like the onion soup mix with sour cream, right? So they just call it that. I guess so. That makes sense. But they don't actually know who made it. It's quoted as being attributed to some anonymous like tailgating all-star <laughs> <laughs> who first thought to add the envelope of Lipton onion soup mix with sour cream. And then it just spread across the uh, across the U.S. Should we just be adding all different kinds of soup mixes to sour cream and see if it works? Has that happened before? Oh my gosh, maybe it has Like, why just that one? Okay, so I know you're probably thinking like broccoli cheddar. Wait, is yeah, that a I was, dried? I don't, I might not be because of the broccoli. But yeah. I was thinking tomato, if it comes dried, I think that would be great. I guess. <laughs> I just that was, my first thought was tomato. I don't know why. I just want a tomato dip. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Okay. Imagine you did tomato and then maybe added some like chopped up sun-dried tomatoes to it too i think that'd be great can i put cheese in it too yeah totally okay then yeah we can work with that (laughs) but i think one of my favorite things about stumbling upon this one is the picture that they put with it because they put the dip inside a big white onion that they had hollowed out and i've never seen that before me neither but that also feels very like 60s to just hollow out food (laughs) Right? Like, you've seen bread bowls. Have you seen onion bowls? (laughs) I don't... Like, what do you do? Do you just toss the onion after you're done? Do you cook with it? Because I imagine you don't just eat it. (laughs) Like, at least with bread bowls, you could, like, once you're done, you rip off a piece of bread and you eat it or whatever. An onion's very different than a piece of bread. Well, if you were, you know, going the extra step and like, I'm going to make my onion dip myself a little bit. Then you would use the onion. Maybe you caramelize it a little bit, mix that with the sour cream, get a little fancy. If you're going to put it in the onion, you're already getting fancy. So fancy. Okay, we're going to move on to a healthy way to enjoy dessert in 1969. Oh, I think, yeah. So healthy. Carrot cake, obviously. (laughs) Which, I mean, I feel like is like... A running joke now of like, oh, it's carrot cake. It must be healthy. It has vegetables in it. I didn't know it was a serious thing when it initially came out. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's why it's just spiked in popularity because people were like, it, there's vegetable. a vegetable in this cake and everybody loves it now. It must be healthy. <laughs> and I think that is a trend you're kind of going to see throughout a lot of these items is that they are based in some kind of... Whether it's a resource or it's... Diet. Yeah. It's resources or it's a diet trend, isn't it? Or marketing, which which is all the above. It's kind of sad because I feel like we both grew up in the 90s and the 2000s. And like we know the diet culture in the 90s and the 2000s sucks. It still sucks. It sucks to know that it didn't start then. That it's been going on forever. Right? (laughs) It sucks to know that women have had to deal, women and men have had to deal with this all the time. Is it kind of like after, at least in America, they got past 
the depression and any kind of food scarcity from those times, then it was like, well, we have enough of everything. Now we probably need to limit ourselves. <laughs> yeah, really. Now that we have enough food, let's talk about limiting how much we eat. <laughs> yes. And what we eat. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. But, um, how, sorry, how do you feel about carrot cake? A healthy dessert? <laughs> obviously. Yeah, obviously. I just, like, I find it funny, and I understand that, like, there wasn't as much information as there is today, but, like, carrot cake is a very oil-heavy dessert. It's a cake. <laughs> I just, like, there was a time at any point that something with the word cake in it was thought to be healthy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just wait till they hear about zucchini bread. okay we're gonna move on to breakfast in 1971 because eggs benedict was the big breakfast which like so good still so popular yeah i mean it is not a new thing it's obviously in europe is where it started but it became popular in the states in 1971 and actually is attributed to the invention of mcdonald's egg mcmuffin what yeah when they made understand when they made the egg mcmuffin they were trying to make an eggs benedict to serve at mcdonald's they were trying to introduce more breakfast items Uh, everybody bad at making eggs benedict (laughs) (laughs) everybody that's a very bad attempt at making (laughs) eggs benedict I feel like they just kind of ignored the sauce. Which, like, is that not the Benedict part of it? Yeah. Like, I think that's the key thing, the hollandaise sauce. (laughs) Yeah. But they're like, how do we get on some of this breakfast craze in our restaurants? So that's why they they invented, like, that round mold to cook the egg in. They had the slice of ham. They served it on an English muffin with butter. And apparently it was also a thing to have some like raspberry jam type thing on the side you know i can see that that seems yeah. great like a little sweet to balance out the salty i guess Good. so yeah yeah but i just i never would have thought the eggs benedict inspired the egg McMuffin. <laughs> we have so much to be thankful for for the eggs benedict look what it's done it's great um but yeah no that's super weird to me yeah it kind of kicked off the whole breakfast, breakfast fast food revolution and then all day breakfast wow i would after never that. ever have thought that eggs benedict was the origin story of fast food breakfast not the ones you see today that's for sure eggs benedict is so good i know it's almost it's an insult <laughs> to eggs and then benedict. a bunch of fast food places were just like yeah we could do this but we'll do it cheap and without the good part of it <laughs> exactly and they even served it like open face yeah. Like the Eggs Benedict. But, wait, wait. They served the Egg the... McMuffin. Wait, so it didn't have a top? No, it did, but it wasn't closed as a sandwich oh, at first. Okay. It was just like, here is your open sandwich. <laughs> and here's an extra top in case you want it. <laughs> and people didn't, that part didn't really stick. Okay. I mean, understandably, because who goes to McDonald's to use a knife and a fork? It, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Actually, we're going to go back to some cake in 1974. Always welcome more cake. Because it's the Wacky Cake, which was formerly in World War, World War II rationing days, the Depression Cake, mm. also yeah. called, aka accidentally vegan cake. Hello. Which, like, see, like, 
I don't understand why people are so stumped by vegan baking. <laughs> yeah. It was a thing. <laughs> For so long. I'm wondering, too, if maybe it's just a, a product of history where, like, they did this cake because they needed to, not because they wanted to. Like, there was a point in time where this cake was needed because they had a shortage of certain ingredients. Like, there's, like, this status symbol with it. Not necessarily at the time in the 70s, but when the original, like, depression cake or wacky cake. Like, maybe there's just this weird status to it, and that's why people are thrown through a loop with, like, not having eggs in baking. <laughs> oh, maybe. And because it was, like, the the eggs in any dairy was either expensive or just really hard to get, right, originally. Mm-hmm. And then when they reintroduced it in 74, it was one of those things where it was in a women's magazine. Classic. It was like, look at this new-to-you concept where you can make <laughs> this really rich and moist chocolate cake really easy it's like advertising bell bottoms to gen z yes everything (laughs) comes back again trend and everyone's like wait no no this is not new (laughs) yeah yeah but i also i don't know with the marketing towards women in let's say 60s 70s and probably even 80s like whether they would market a recipe as easy or one that looks like it's difficult but wasn't because the woman has to like present Look how oh, hard yeah. I worked. I think I think I talked to you about this before. So I went to school for PR and you learn about the father of PR. I can't remember what his name was, but he was he's been responsible for so many things. He was responsible for the campaign that made bacon a breakfast food now that people mm. always associate with breakfast. Uh, but he was also responsible for box cake mix. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was one of the things where someone, Duncan Hines, I think it was Duncan Hines, the original one, they created, a, or Betty Crocker or something, created a box cake mix where you just add water. But women didn't feel like they were doing enough. So they added an egg just because you didn't actually need the egg, but they added the egg so women felt like they were doing enough to be able to present a food to their family or whatever. And that's how that whole boxed cake craze came about is because they added a, literally they just added an unneeded egg to the recipe <laughs> and all of a sudden housewives were like yes this is perfect i feel like i'm doing enough work but it's still quick it's so ridiculous but also like one of my favorite food facts to tell people guess what there's an unnecessary egg lurking <laughs> in your box cake mix <laughs> your box cake mix is lying to you and because like Literally last weekend, I made a box cake with just a can of soda like and the this, mix. That's it. Yeah. So marketing is everywhere, people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the point of this whole podcast. Marketing is all around us. You're being marketed right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, depression cake came back or wacky cake. Yeah. In the 70s. Cho- popular moist chocolate cake. Which, like, you've made a couple before, too, I right? love it. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. It's so easy. That's all I need in a cake. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to feel like I accomplished anything. <laughs> no, I just want to eat cake. <laughs> yeah, as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to another item that was very popular in the 70s, and that is quiche. Oh, quiche. Are you quiche, a fan quiche, of quiche? quiche? Uh, I've had it a couple times. I'm, I was never a big quiche eater. I was also never a big egg eater in general. Um, but I don't, I didn't mind a quiche. Like, I think if I wasn't vegan now, I would have enjoyed a quiche. I can appreciate now that I'm older rather than, you know, when I was 10 years old, I didn't really want quiche. 
Yeah, to me, it does seem like a very you thing because it's basically an omelet with a pie crust. Yeah, like I think if I wasn't vegan, I'd be eating quiche a lot more than I ever did before. (laughs) Because quiche seems nice. Sure. You can add so much to it. It, It's an easy lunch or breakfast or dinner. You can eat it any time of day. (laughs) Exactly. I'm pretty sure that's how Julia Child pitched it too because she's the (laughs) reason that it kind of gained popularity in the 70s. Yeah. And I feel like it's another one that's kind of coming back too. You see quiche a lot more. Yeah, I don't know that it ever left. Yeah, I think it's always been a pretty staple thing on like menus or people just cooking it and stuff. But I am seeing it more and more, I think. In this one article that I read, it was quoted that quiche was so popular that it became a bit of a punchline of the, like by the end of the decade, kind of similar to how millennials and their avocado toast. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we're... We had avocado toast, which is, like, the easiest thing to make. You mash avocado on a piece of toast. And, like, the – I don't know what the generation is in the 70s, what the, like, generation in our age group would have been in the Mm -hmm. 70s. Um, They get quiche. Like, quiche was their thing. Wow, they put so much more effort into life. (laughs) That that was their, like, pop culture food that everybody talked about to the point where there was a book in 1982, so after – it had really spiked in the 70s called Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. Yikes, that's a toxic sentence. It was a guide to all that is truly masculine. Ugh. I don't know what is, happened to quiche. Is quiche responsible for toxic masculinity? <laughs> and, like the other confusing part about this book is the author, Bruce Feirstein, also mm-hmm. wrote the screenplays for GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies which are James Bond movies. But it was long, long after that it had been established that James Bond not only eats quiche, he knows how to make quiche. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) What a world we live in. So, yeah, I guess Bond wouldn't read that book. Yeah, quiche is not a manly thing, apparently. I don't really understand why. It seems like there's a lot of protein, a lot of things men seem to like. Yeah. that toxic masculinity stuff but i guess it it maybe it just became that thing that people make fun of just like now people say oh millennials can't buy houses because of their avocado toast which like yeah that's the reason yeah <laughs> their 12 dollar <laughs> avocado toast which i mean like to be fair avocados are expensive though they are they like, are it's not like avocados are pennies and someone's selling them for 12 dollars. no avocados are just expensive <laughs> Okay, so now we are into the 80s, and apparently pasta salads were the food of the summer. Which, like, I mean, I love a good pasta salad. Me too. It's it's so good. I'm glad that one stuck around. It's just such a, a random thing that, like, so many 80s kids, like, that was the potluck or the summer, like, in their memory, it was pasta yeah. salads came to be. Even though macaroni salad had been a thing for so long. Oh, pasta this is salads, like it widened it. Yeah, pasta salads were different. Oh, wait. Pasta salad is different from macaroni salad. How? Yes. I think it's because most a macaroni salad would be like egg and mayo based usually. 
okay. like a thicker, creamier. And the pasta salads that we were seeing in the 80s were like, like the tri, yeah, the tricolor pasta, Italian dressing. Maybe you got some olives, some tomatoes, some feta or okay. mozzarella. So like a that kind lighter. of pasta, yeah, that kind of pasta salad. Interesting. All right. So like. But, like, I feel like pasta salad has, like, I think people would encompass a macaroni salad as a pasta salad now. Right? I don't know. If you told me you were bringing pasta salad to the potluck and you showed up with macaroni salad, I'd be like, well, that's not what I thought you were bringing. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So, like, I grew up eating, the pasta salad I used to love was pasta, whatever pasta it was. I'd put a can of tuna in it bunch of veggies so like uh red pepper usually peppers or something like that and then caesar salad dressing Ooh, <laughs> that's so i'm used to like a creamy pasta salad i almost never had like vinaigrette based pasta salads man i don't even know where that one that one's just like trickling the line like what is it <laughs> so like like i'm wondering is it the distinction of like a pasta salad is it like a more lighter vinaigrette based type thing in people's minds at least or is it that it doesn't have elbow macaroni i don't know <laughs> yeah is it the macaroni that makes yeah. the macaroni salad you would think so actually yeah you would think so <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and like i grew up with one that's just like tricolor pasta with bruschetta and mm. feta yeah i hadn't had that until you introduced it to me and that's that's a delicious salad so good so, so good. good. No yeah. effort. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to move on to microwave popcorn, which was the best snack in 1986. Still is. <laughs> I think so, too. We just need more vegan options for it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it was the whole marketing because people were like, oh, it's high fiber. It's low in fat. It's low in sodium. And it's incredibly convenient. Interesting. I would and not. And it's delicious. Why can't we just say things are delicious? Well, you see, we weren't as um, aware of the toxic diet culture that we were being inundated with in 1986 before we were born. I feel like we still are. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So microwave popcorn, what what year was that? 1986. And some people thought it was going to be just a fad because they're like, oh, no, people will read the labels and they're going to realize there's all these chemicals in microwave popcorn and they're going to go back to the other way. And all of those people saying it were the ones that made the conventional popcorn poppers. (laughs) Also, my favorite thing about that is knowing what's to come in the 90s and early 2000s. (laughs) About like this whole like they're going to read the labels and see all the like non-foodie things that are in it or the things they don't recognize and they don't want all these instant things just to what's to come to the 90s and 2000s. It's my favorite thing about that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because they kind of they did start reading they just didn't know they still didn't know what they were reading yeah and i mean to be fair like you almost in a way i still think now even though i think it's naive to think that now but people kind of just trust the professionals that they're not going to feed you something dangerous or yeah quote unquote unhealthy whatever so i think even like back then even with even less information about nutrition and food and processed foods and things like that is when you're reading a label you just assume you're like i mean they put it in food it's probably fine if i don't recognize it whatever i don't i'm not an expert in food yeah and i think too throughout so many decades 
convenience foods have always had their moment. Which, like, because it's the convenience aspect. People can overlook certain health things and things because convenience is what yeah. they want in yeah. that product. And convenience and deliciousness. And I don't think there needs to be anything wrong with that. I agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If I could buy my, I wish there was a readily available vegan microwave popcorn because it'd be in my pantry all the time. Right. Po- microwave popcorn was like th- my childhood. Like mm-hmm. we always had microwave popcorn readily available. And it also, I feel like in the 90s and early 2000s started getting more creative too. Exactly. Exactly. Oh gosh. Never want to share a bag. You want a whole bag to yourself. Yes. <laughs> and you always keep your face away from open when you open it all that steam but it was also the best part because you get to smell the popcorn and what are you talking about i love a good popcorn steam (laughs) popcorn facial i get that like butter (laughs) in my pores (laughs) Mm, just stick it straight in there (laughs) (laughs) okay anyways speaking of the 90s let's talk about the 90s and fusion pizza uh what is this a specific year or is this just 90s in general uh, I think it just started at the beginning of the 90s. Okay, so right, be- right before us. Yes, exactly. Okay. I was like the whole idea of putting something on pizza other than pepperoni and cheese. Oh, man, pizza's come such a long way now. Yeah, exactly. So the California Pizza Kitchen is kind of where it all started. Mm, I didn't would, know they started in the 90s. And they would do a barbecue chicken pizza. And that's oh. kind of what i think when it helped it go mainstream because a lot of the credit is also given to wolfgang puck Mm -hmm. so he kind of like accidentally made it because someone came into the restaurant and they wanted a smoked salmon with brioche and he realized he didn't have any of that bread so he's like all right i've got a pizza crust so he just used you spread it out he put a dill spiked creme fraiche did i say that and then thinly sliced red onions and then layered the salmon on top and then finished with caviar. And that became like a very notable dish. And from there, people say, that's like, like, that's classic Wolfgang Puck. Everyone knows that now. Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of like further fueled this idea of a California pizza, which is just thin, wood fired and loaded with gourmet extras, things yeah. beyond the traditional. Yeah. And now pizza has like, like there's nothing you don't put on pizza. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel like pizza is mostly fusion now. I almost feel like we've almost gone too far now. (laughs) (laughs) Like pizza has like, I feel like it's such a normal thing for pizza places to have super creative flavors now and not just the classics. Yeah, if you don't, it's like you won't survive in the pizza market right now. Yeah, people want that highly creative pizza. It's very interesting to see that, that that, it kind of, I feel like, so it started in the early 90s, but I don't really remember it in the early 2000s. So I feel like it was one of those things that was popular with a few places because people are like, oh, they do it, they do it. And then all of a sudden, other pizza places were like, no, we want a piece of this pie. Pizza this pie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and then we're going to go to 93, which is... (gasps) Our birth year. Our year. And that is when sushi found its way into the hearts of Americans everywhere. Sushi. I'm happy with our birth year. (laughs) Seems like a great year. (laughs) I think it officially, like, 
started gaining popularity in the 80s but by 93 it was like sushi is here it was the go-to thing sushi is here to stay and Mm -hmm. also we've americanized it by putting mayonnaise and cream cheese in it (laughs) yeah we've highly we're like thank you for your delicious food now let's change everything about it yeah yeah which there's nothing wrong with putting your own spin on it as long as you acknowledge like the traditional yeah japanese sushi but yeah go 93 sushi yeah no i'm so i was so afraid something terrible was gonna be our birth year (laughs) oh my god me too like some terrible diet trend or something right i'm sure there was also some terrible diet trend in the 93 i mean i feel like 90s was like hardcore diet trend era yeah (laughs) 90s and slightly early 2000s definitely definitely although i will give a notable notable mention to 92 because that year was ranch dressing i'm gonna say the 90s seem great when you take out all the horrible things that happened in the 90s (laughs) well i mean 95 i'm here for 95 because 95 was when sun-dried tomatoes became (gasps) popular in the u.s yes right i never like sundered tomatoes are always in the fridge always me too they're like one of the best flavors they just and they have so much of it it's just so concentrated it is so good i think it's because they were in a cookbook fittingly called sun-dried tomatoes (laughs) i really it's literal (laughs) and they got they got so popular that eventually they had to kind of uh mass produce it and they couldn't be that traditional actually dried yeah. by the sun actually that same process <laughs> yeah so people were kind of like meh um this isn't the same anymore so they did actually dip in popularity after they got too popular for their own good i mean that makes sense you know there's always that like aspect where people i feel like when something starts and it's built on so much tradition and then it gets changed people get upset but then they eventually embrace it because it's still a really good product it did make me wonder though like have i just never had good traditional sun-dried tomato that's possible and i need to investigate that and solve that i'm assuming at the price i'm paying for sun-dried tomatoes (laughs) they ain't dried by the sun (laughs) oh you're yes that's true (laughs) i go to no frills i don't i think sun-dried is a frill (laughs) (laughs) oh okay but i think that would be a great thing to actually be able to find is like the traditional method of sun drying tomatoes and try i i'm curious if we're just missing out on this like huge burst even though they have so much flavor the ones we get i'm curious if we're just missing out on this whole new experience that we've never had before yeah it's like these are the crappy ones because like i really (laughs) like these yeah (laughs) okay we're gonna move into 2000 the early aughts as they are called (laughs) which i don't know who coined that phrase or why it makes sense but it does (laughs) and in 2001 cupcakes stole the hearts of americans i feel like i remember this all oh because you were watching sex in the city oh no (laughs) was that a thing is it sex in the city is that why cupcakes are popular yeah it's because there's like a really brief scene also where they i go, definitely wasn't watching sex in the city at 10 years old <laughs> i i wasn't gonna judge <laughs> um there's like a really brief scene where they go to magnolia bakery 
mm-hmm. and it showed some vanilla cupcakes with pink vanilla buttercream frosting and after that that bakery was like a tourist Dang. destination and from there on every bakery had to have cupcakes like that jeez yeah that's wild that just that little cameo right yeah like it's not it's literally just a tv character it's not even like an actual real person a tv character made cupcakes popular although i feel like that sort of reason for a food exploding feels more familiar to what we see now oh, than 100%. all of the trends we've discussed so far right 100 yeah. so like this is one of the early occurrences of that happening yeah like i don't think food trends happen anymore because of necessity they happen because a really popular tv show did something or a really popular chef tried something it's more cult like pop culture based now yeah yeah exactly Okay, 2004, which I actually am surprised by this one, was when matcha started showing up more places. Yeah, because I feel like I didn't hear about it that long ago. I mean, maybe we just weren't really in that, like, area. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't somebody who really went to, like, coffee shops much in high school or anything like that. Like, I didn't really... That wasn't our scene you know yeah yeah and i think it's because at the time there was just more creativity in teas and like a powdered tea or a dried tea whatever kind that was also rising in popularity at the time so matcha kind of came in with that and because people were already trying other types of teas green tea and matcha were everywhere they were in desserts and smoothies and everything yeah interesting i know that one i feel like i hadn't seen like matcha in anything other than a latte until like the last couple of years that's what i thought too but apparently we just weren't paying attention which i mean makes sense (laughs) no i am shocked we grew up in like (laughs) small town town. north of toronto small town north of toronto that used to be a farm community i don't think uh matcha made it there in the early 2000s it's true (laughs) Not much made it here. Yeah. <laughs> Not much. Uh. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about our favorite PR food trend in 2013 when Kale took over. I mean, I still, we we recently know how much I love Kale. My and goodness. I also discovered how many spinach lovers there are out there. Yeah. What? So we, we did a recipe recently that was a kale pesto pasta. And Catherine was like, no, spinach, get out of here. But you know what? Team spinach showed up in the comments. They really did. (laughs) I was so, I was like looking at the comments on our video and I was like, wow, there are so many people who like spinach. Am I like, I didn't think I'd be the odd one out here. (laughs) Am I the drama? (laughs) I'm definitely the drama. (laughs) Okay. So between 2007 and 2012 is when farm production of kale really started to increase so there was a lot of it to the point where the american kale association yes i think you should join that um (laughs) hired aka yeah (laughs) i love it i love it they hired a publicist for kale it had its own publicist i mean that's it's like this doesn't shock me because bacon also had its own publicist 
Okay, I'm going to ask you a question after this. Okay. But, okay, so okay. she pitched it as a superfood, obviously, Ugh. to friends and clients and chefs around New York City. And, like, that's how it started gaining traction. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Look at this kale salad. Put it on Instagram. Hashtag kale. <laughs> Hashtag kale. <laughs> and it's all just because of PR. I feel like, well, I mean, everything's because of PR. Like, we're naive to think there's nothing that we do today that isn't because of PR or marketing. You're right. We've discussed this already. Marketing is yeah. everywhere. Okay. Yeah. So what I want to ask you is yes. what food do you want to be the publicist for? Oh, so it has to be a food that's not as popular right now, right? That I think should be more popular? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make your job too easy. Um, I mean, I still don't think people are using dehydrated mushrooms enough. Oh, Okay. I think that one needs to be more mainstream. I really thought you were maybe going to say tofu. I think I feel tofu's... Like tofu has a lot of good PR right now, but I still think it needs more. Yeah, I think, okay. I think <laughs> tofu might be too difficult of a job. Not because tofu is bad. I love tofu. I think tofu is one of the best foods in existence. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that to- it is just so ingrained in so many people that tofu can't be good that that is a really hard job to change minds of those people like kale was new to a lot of Mm. people you weren't starting from a place where people are like oh i know kale and i hate it right (laughs) there's so many people who just don't like tofu for whatever reason a bad experience marketing uh somebody told you it's not good whatever it is that you're starting from a place that's already has a negative perception that is so much harder to get out of okay that's a really good point you've actually thought this through a lot (laughs) (laughs) i mean i did go to school for pr so (laughs) and i am in marketing you had an exam question about what food you would want to be the publicist yeah i've written a whole essay about this (laughs) no i think i think dehydrated mushrooms are a good one because People, I still, I think there's so much to learn about it that people don't know. And you'd be starting from a place of curiosity rather than dislike. Oh my gosh. It's like you're talking like Ted Lasso right now. (laughs) (laughs) Be curious, not judgmental. I also don't know. Maybe dehydrated mushrooms are more popular than I think they are. But I don't think I see them in a lot of recipes online. I don't see them talked about in restaurants very much. So maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they're that popular. Okay. I like that. (laughs) So dehydrated mushrooms for like everyday normal use, you know? Like I think people put them in like soups and broths and things like that. But I think you can use them in place of fresh mushrooms a lot of times, just like the way people are trying to get dried beans in place of canned beans. <laughs> yes, there's so much potential there. Yeah. The the final list of food trends, like we're pretty we're getting into the current one. So like you've got avocado toast and we if we were talking about the last couple years of madness we'd talk about bread baking or we'd talk about banana bread or we'd talk about and before that before madness uh there was a lot of instagrammy food so oh charcoal my goodness. based things rainbow things glitter the the stuff that photographs really well and attracts a lot of social media attention takes it's like completely away from taste it's all aesthetics yeah and now it, actually it feels like now that it's not necessarily a restaurant 
or a professional making those Instagrammable foods. It's people at home going for the wow factor in another way. In a in a clickbait, untrue way. Yes. And, and it's not necessarily aesthetic, but it will make you stop it's and shock stare. Factor. <laughs> it's literally shock factor. Yeah. Yeah. They People watch it because they're like, there's no way this could work. There's no way. And it doesn't work. They lie to you. <laughs> or you're just like, why is this happening? Yeah, that too. This is the thing. I was literally watching. So I watch a YouTube channel called How to Cook That. And she basically like busts food, like like a five minute crafts or like a tasty style, like those type mm-hmm. of like content farm type things. She does videos where they do like those quick like food hacks and she actually tests them to see if they actually work and like busts the myth of them. And like so many times they don't work. And she'll like, this is how it would work but they don't want to tell you all the extra ingredients you need because it's no longer an easy recipe and like all this extra stuff so like i've been watching a lot of that and a lot of like why they do a certain thing is because people are attracted to either like super quick and easy things like oh my god i can't believe this worked i'm gonna share this or this is so wild and so ridiculous i'm gonna share it and rant about it right it's it's very interesting internet has ruined food Oh, I think we could say a lot of bad things about what the internet has done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also brought a lot of good. So Yeah, no, we can't minimize the good the internet has done, but we can talk about the bad it's done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, without the internet, we wouldn't have been able to read about this food history. Exactly. Because I don't know how to use a library. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. I honestly don't think I've been in a library since high school. But like we said at the beginning, we will link some of the, all the lists that we referenced for this list. And if you ever want like a very, very detailed list of food in history, foodtimeline.org has like (laughs) almost every food you can imagine and some history about it just listed out. So we'll link that as well if you want to learn more about this stuff like we like to. And we'd also encourage you if you like have a really trendy food you love to look into the history of that and see most likely it was not created in America and there's a root of it somewhere outside of America that you should be learning about. Yeah. 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 We didn't really get into like the history of where these foods came from, just what happened when they got popular here or when they got popular here. So I would encourage you to do that research on your own and like look into like, whatever food you love and be like what like why is this here who was the one who started it, or what's the significant of ingredients to certain cultures things like that yeah honestly that stuff is so interesting to learn about you learn so much about it like was it I th- i'm trying to s'mores the history of s'mores is the one of the most interesting things in the world you guys all we put it in a blog post because we did that s'mores cinnamon roll Go read that because it is the we- it was like created by a priest to curb sexual desires. It was the weird. It's the weirdest story, but so interesting. Well, that backfired. It definitely does the opposite. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> it's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> okay, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want to check out any of our recipes, like the cinnamon swir- cinnamon s'mores rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find them at tomarketgirls.com, tomarketgirls on YouTube. For all the socials, send us your foodie thoughts. We like to hear them. Foodie thoughts. That's a good name for a podcast. Foodie thoughts. Well, we're not like renaming it. this one, are we? 
Yes. Yeah. Well, tomorrow it's gonna be called Foodie Thoughts. Now. <laughs> same feed, new name. What up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>